0: Father, as we open your word, be exalted. Speak to our hearts and our minds and illuminate us by the truth of your word. I pray that you would use my words, Father, for your glory. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, Father, anoint my lips, anoint our ears, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Title of the message this morning is The Empty Tomb from John chapter 20, (coughs) beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 31. (coughs) But before we read the text, the word, Forsaken came to mind as I was preparing and uh, getting ready for today's uh, sermon. And the reason forsaken came to mind as I was thinking back through the week and just as I was thinking through Holy Week and thinking uh, from Good Friday uh, on through Saturday in approach of today, Easter Sunday, I thought to myself, this is what the disciples must have felt. But then as I reflected more on forsaken, I thought, you know, forsaken is a cold word. The word forsaken, it it means to be deserted, to be abandoned. You know, I thought that that might have some relevance for us this morning. I know that this is a day of celebration, that Christ has returned. He was our Christ is resurrected, that he will return again. But maybe for you, as you're gathering here this morning with us to worship the Lord, Maybe you've experienced this feeling also of being forsaken. Maybe you've shared something with someone in confidence and they sold you out. Maybe they did it to make themselves look better, to feel better about themselves, to be accepted by a group. Maybe you've experienced a a broken marriage and feel forsaken. Maybe you've been wrongfully terminated from a job. Felt like you were abandoned and left out in the cold. Perhaps you felt forsaken by a community of faith. Or maybe, just maybe you felt forsaken or abandoned by both or one of your parents. Maybe you felt forsaken even by God. God, why did you let this happen? How could you let this happen? Where are you? The list could go on and on forsaken. It's a cold word. It's a hard word. It's a word that hurts. And I bet the disciples felt like they had been forsaken. On Friday, Jesus was crucified. The disciples had denied their Lord. They had run off. And on Saturday, they're left. ...wondering what in the world has just happened. Their heads were spinning. But I also want you to know that Jesus understands what it's like to be forsaken. Not only did His disciples abandon Him and forsake Him right there as He is in the most intense part of His life and ministry... But in Matthew 27, 4 through 46, Matthew 27, 46, Matthew records the words from Jesus about the ninth hour. He's hanging on the cross. He's about to die. And Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken, he felt abandoned. The New Testament writers in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, quoting from Joshua 1, 5, said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, speaking on behalf of God. And then they go on to say in Hebrews thirteen six, so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear for what can man do to me? Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle Paul, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, the reality is, Jesus was forsaken. But he was forsaken so that you and I don't have to be. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he suffered the eternal wrath and punishment of God the Father. He suffered it on our behalf so that we might not have to be forsaken, but so that we might enjoy and have eternal life with the Father. And as I began thinking through this passage this week, one thought that overwhelmed me was how in the world did I make do I make this translate simply but profoundly for my children? And in one sense, I can't. Right? I mean, I, I realize that Believing in the gospel of Christ is a spiritual work. It's the role of the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to their minds and to open their eyes to believe the great mystery of the gospel. And so it is for each one of us sitting here this morning. So all cards on the table. In all transparency, right? I tell Wes that I shouldn't say that because I'm always trying to be transparent. But in all transparency, there's nothing I can say. I realize there's nothing I can say to make anyone who is doubting believe or anyone who is struggling to trust Christ to believe. But perhaps the Holy Spirit at work in our midst can help us this morning, can illuminate our minds, can help us to understand. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to cry out to God in the midst of the service this morning as you are listening and hearing God's word. Beginning in chapter 20, verse 1 John writes, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. I want us to see this morning that Jesus' resurrection secures salvation for all who believe. Jesus' resurrection secures salvation for all who believe. Christ's resurrection defeated sin and death with finality. He triumphed over death and defeated Satan, man's mortal enemy. And so this morning, I hope, I pray that we'll respond to Christ's resurrection through faith, through worship, through living on mission with Him and for Him. The reality is that we live in a time in between. It's kind of like the Saturday for the disciples, right? Friday, Good Friday, Jesus is buried. On Sunday, He's resurrected. What happens on that Saturday, that time in between, right? And so we're kind of like the disciples in one sense. We're waiting. We're waiting, but now we're waiting for the return of Christ. And I think the time we're in now is the time that Jesus is speaking to when he speaks to Thomas in verse 29. And he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. The first scene that we encounter this morning confronts our doubts and our fears. And like the disciples, we stand on edge facing the empty tomb. In verses 1 through 18, we see this. John, John gives us first-hand account of Christ's bodily resurrection. And as we come to the empty tomb, it's undeniable for us, but it is undeniable, well, it may be deniable for us, but for the disciples, it's undeniable. They've been through a whirlwind of emotions And they're alarmed when Mary Magdalene comes to them, runs to them, and gives them the news. The stone has been rolled away. They've taken the Lord's body from the tomb. I don't even know where they've put him. So Peter and John, what do they do? They get up, and they begin running to the tomb. And I think facing the empty tomb for the disciples, it challenges their doubts. If there were any doubts on Saturday, any doubts on Friday... Facing the empty tomb challenges their doubts. Some have said that the disciples probably went to the wrong tomb. That Jesus never was resurrected. I think that's really a ridiculous claim. If you've ever buried a loved one, you don't forget where you placed their body. You can go right to it. And so is the case for Mary that morning. And so is the case for Peter and John as they're traveling to the tomb. And so Peter and John bolt out of the house toward the tomb. And upon arriving, first John looks in and he sees the linen cloths. But he doesn't go in and then Peter arrives and Peter just rushes in and he sees both the linen and the face cloth lying there. But John's kind of sitting outside and in verse 8, he's kind of taking it all in and he's piecing it all together. And as he enters the tomb, look at what it says in verse 8. The other disciple that's John he went in he saw and he believed as he goes in he sees the empty space where Jesus's body laid he sees the body cloth and the linen cloth lying there he sees and he believes Mary thought that a grave robber had come and taken Jesus's body But John knows this isn't the work of a grave robber. John knows this is the eternal plan of redemption. This is the climax of God's eternal redemptive plan. Jesus is alive. His doubts and his fears are swallowed up in a moment by faith. As he faces the empty tomb, he realizes that all the ministry of Christ leading up to this point is truthful, that it's real, that his power is real. Maybe you're like John this morning, and this is a great celebration for you. Or maybe you're like Mary on the inside, weeping, uncertain, full of fear and doubts. But as you come this morning to face the empty tomb. How are you going to respond? You see, facing the empty tomb challenges our doubts. Historically, the tomb was empty. He was not there. If there were any way to silence the claims of Christianity, it would have been to produce the body of Christ. But not only does facing the empty tomb challenge our doubts, facing the empty tomb calls us to trust. And we see this in verses 11 through 16. Can you picture the scene? Mary Magdalene is standing there. She's weeping. She's sorrowful. She's hopeless and she stoops down to look into the tomb and when she looks into the tomb this time she sees two angels dressed in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been laying and the woman says or and they say to her in verse 13 woman why are you weeping and so she responded she responds they've taken my lord's body and i don't know where they've laid him and in verses 14 and 15 she encounters a stranger in the garden Thinking that he's the gardener. And she asked him. Where have you laid Jesus's body? And it was in verse 16 that Jesus said. Mary. She's heard that voice before. And as she heard that voice. She turns. And she sees Jesus. And she said. Rabboni. As soon as I read this. My mind goes back to. John, John chapter 10. Verse 27, where Jesus says to his disciples, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Our John chapter 10, verse 3, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. As Mary sees her resurrected Lord, her sorrow, her worry, her hopelessness ceases. The resurrection of Christ gives her great. I wonder if we ever feel like Mary. If you ever feel like Mary, what are those things that we worry over, that we experience sorrow over, that we feel hopeless about? It happens from early on, from early in school age it happens. When we're not invited to sleep over at at our friend's house and everyone else was invited to, and we begin to worry about how people are perceiving us, right? To being persecuted for our faith as we grow older. We worry about singleness. and Will I ever find the right person for me? Or, or what will I do with my life? We struggle with our identity and feelings of, of insecurity. I thought I'd be better by now. What's wrong with me? What's my place in this world? Can I really make a difference? Am I spending enough time with my family? And the list just goes on and on and on like a snowball rolling downhill. We worry about aging. We worry about health. We worry about jobs. We worry about even are children going to be able to sit through Easter service, right? I mean, we worry about all these things. But I want to remind you, like Mary... When when worry and doubt creep into our lives, it's a sign telling us our focus has shifted. It's telling us that we've lost sight of God's sovereign rule. We've lost sight of the all-powerful one who has in fact triumphed over the grave, who is victorious over sin and death. And so what the empty tomb is doing for Mary and for the disciples and for us this morning, it's calling us to a place of deep trust it beckons us to see the hope of resurrection. The answer to hopelessness and to worry, to anxiety in this life is found when we trust and know the peaceful hope of Christ and his resurrection. If Christ has overcome death. We have the assurance that we as his children will overcome the tribulations of the world. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus turns Mary's worry, our worry and sorrows into trust and peace. You see, the empty tomb challenges our doubts and it, it calls us to a life of trust. But it also calls us to spread the good news. We see this in verses 17 and 18. Have you ever been so excited that you look around and there's no one there for you to share this good news with but you want to share it with somebody like just anything like there's something great that has happened to you and you just can't wait to share it with somebody nowadays we'll take a selfie and put a caption on Twitter or on Facebook and we'll you know we'll tweet something about how excited we are right but You know what I'm talking about. You ever get that excited? Something good happens. Maybe it's a promotion at work or maybe it's the news of a pregnancy or even the news of an engagement. It's something that you want to tell everyone about. It's a good thing. It's a happy thing. For Mary, Jesus' command in verses 17 and 18 to go and to share with the disciples, she receives it with that kind of urgency. Mary went and she announced this exciting news to the disciples. I've seen the Lord. He's alive. Here's what he told me to tell you. Tell my brethren. He called you brethren, guys. I've ascended to my father and your father and and to my God and your God. This is incredible. Jesus calls his disciples, the very ones who had abandoned him, who had forsaken him. He calls them his brothers. And he says to Mary, go and tell my brothers that my father and your father, my God and your God, that I'm alive. And I'm going to ascend to the father. This is significant that Jesus would tell the disciples that they had this relationship with the father, that he cares that much about his creation, about his disciples, about his children. Jesus exercises this, or the Father exercises this fatherly care in our lives. And what Jesus is pointing to here is he's pointing his disciples to see that they can approach God as a loving Father. Jesus' resurrection has made the way for us to know God, to have eternal life in God's presence. And since he bore our sins and satisfied God's wrath against us through the cross, we now have complete access to the holy presence of God. Believer, let this encourage you. You can come into God's presence. Go and tell my brethren, I've ascended to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. How has Christ's resurrection transformed your life, believer? Do you have this great hope? Do you know this great hope? Are you ready to share this exciting news about Christ, that he is risen, that he is alive? The empty tomb, the resurrection is such great news that it ought to excite us more than anything to tell others about the hope of eternal life. Let that sink in. In the second scene, we... We move to where the disciples, are, the, the disciples are moved from fear to rejoicing in the second scene. Verses 19 through 23. And in verses 19 through 23, we see first that joyful faith dispels fear and engages kingdom work. Joyful faith dispels fear and engages kingdom work. In verses 19 and 20, we're told the disciples were gathered in a room. They're in in this upper room. The doors are locked. And why? Because they're fearing the Jews, right? That's what it says there. Because they're fearing the Jews. And Jesus shows up in the room. This is testimony of his bodily resurrection, his appearance there. He shows up in the room with his disciples and he says to them, peace be with you. And in verse 20, it says that the disciples were glad. They rejoiced. They were glad at Jesus' presence. Jesus' resurrection dispels the disciples' fear as he fills them with joy. So should the hope of the resurrection dispel our fears and be a reason for our joyful faith. And next, what we see is Jesus commissioning the disciples. Look at what he says to them in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. Jesus came to carry out God's redemptive mission, His eternal plan of redemption. His death on the cross paid our sin debt and satisfied God's wrath against our sin. And His resurrection secured eternal life for all who believe in Him. And now He tells His disciples... To live as sent ones in the world. Look there, verse 1. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus told his disciples earlier in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. You see, Jesus' commission to his disciples is still his commission to modern-day disciples, you and me. How, then, do we live out Jesus' commission? How do we live out Jesus' commission? Well, this was a point of what we walked through earlier in the year, Connect 365, right? Connect in these three areas, Christ and community and the church. But Connect 365 days a year, this is living on mission with Christ Where life intersects mission. As a believer, we, we understand, or as disciples of Christ, we understand that God has called us and commissioned us through Christ to go and to make disciples of all nations, to be about sharing the hope of the gospel, this good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to live out our faith and to exercise our faith, sharing the hope that is within us, loving people for the sake of the gospel, Telling them this good news of of the one way, the only way to get to heaven? So we do this as we engage our community, as we grow in Christ. every, Every member growing, every member ministering, every member serving. You know, this past week we had Mother's Day out, one of the great ministries of Crosspoint. And as we gathered in this room for Mother's Day out for the parents to watch their children performed for the Easter, uh, the Easter program, we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to speak to probably about 400, between four and 500 people and to share the hope of the gospel and the true message of Easter. Why do we do this? Why do we invest our money and our resources in a Mother's Day Out program in a building to house a Mother's Day Out program? We do it for the sake of the gospel because we want to share the love of Christ with all that we come in contact. We want to share the love of Christ with the community that we live in where God has planted us. But it's not just on the macro scale of, of the church, but we, we do this individually as well, right? In our vocation. We do this through the neighborhood associations. We do this as we invite our neighbors to sit down around the table with us, have a meal and talk about the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. So we we do this as we serve. But listen, Jesus doesn't just send the disciples on mission. Jesus empowers his disciples as they go on mission. In verses 22 and 23, we see this, that it, it's by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that his disciples carry out his mission. In verse 23, verse 22, and then, or and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit's power that he empowers his disciples to go and to proclaim this gospel. It's by the Holy Spirit's power that he equips his disciples to preach the gospel, to share testimony. And in verse 23, Jesus had already spoken that his word will judge those who reject his message on the last day. In John 12, 48, he who rejects me, Jesus says, and does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. And so Jesus empowers his disciples by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission that he calls them to do. Jesus commissions the disciples with the proclamation of the gospel. That is, to go and to declare the terms of kingdom entrance And so if you hear nothing else that I say this morning, hear this. God is explicit about the terms of entrance into the kingdom. There is only one way into the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And the way to come to God is through the empty tomb. First, we have to deal with the resurrection of Christ. That he was resurrected to life. That he defeated death. And because he defeated sin and death. He has the power to give life. Because he is victorious over death. And so the terms of kingdom entrance. Forgiveness of sin through the cross. And hope of eternal life through belief in the resurrection from the grave. This is the Holy Spirit filled responsibility of the church. Our role is to carry out the mission of Christ in the world, to proclaim Christ's death for the forgiveness of sin and Christ's bodily resurrection for the hope of eternal life, so that by believing in Him, people might be born again to eternal life. Church, our role, our responsibility is to proclaim the hope of this resurrection, of Christ's resurrection. And we have been equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live missional lives for God's glory. We are sent ones from God. To the world. Do you know the joy. That comes from being born again, new birth in Christ. Have you believed upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Believer, when was the last time that you took this joyous message and you shared it with someone in your circle of influence, with someone who is lost and doesn't know the hope of Christ? The third scene we move to is faith in Christ produces truthful worship. We see this in verses 24 through 29. You know, the reality is that we're made to worship. And we're going to worship something. This is what Ted Tripp said You're going to worship something. Look at our children. Our children, we're all made to worship. We're all worshipers. And we're going to worship something. The question is, what are we worshiping? So it's comforting to me when I read verses 24 through 29 and see this guy that we know as Doubting Thomas. And Jesus comes to Doubting Thomas. And Jesus reveals himself to Thomas and says in verse 27... Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And you know what Thomas answers? Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. This is an answer of worship. You know what Thomas is declaring here? Thomas is declaring that Jesus is God. He is ascribing deity to Christ, my Lord and my God. He worships. And the reason I say true worship is because Thomas makes a truthful confession about who Jesus is. Many claim to worship God, but deny the deity of Christ. And scripture says their worship is false. It's unacceptable. You see, the gospel becomes incarnational as it's lived out in plain sight for all the world to see. And yet, what Jesus is telling Thomas there in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. People come to faith by hearing the truth of God's word. And then by seeing it, lived out in the world. This is a thesis of John's gospel, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So for all who haven't seen the risen Christ, we have the written Word of God, penned by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have this so that we might believe and have life in His name. We have a sure and certain record of God's Word to us, God's revelation to us. So church, our mission, as we wait for Christ's return, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, our mission is to exemplify truthful worship and to proclaim the truthful gospel. We are the aroma of Christ to a world full of people without hope and blinded by Satan from knowing Christ. We must be hopeful. We must be redemptive. We must be Christ-exalting and Christ-professing disciples. So the empty tomb challenges our doubts and calls us to a response. As you're confronted with or face the empty tomb this morning, how do you respond? What do you believe? The empty tomb calls us to, to joyful and hopeful faith. Do you know the hope and the joy that comes from Christ there is purpose and security for eternity in Christ and the empty tomb shows us the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of Christ the resurrected Christ commissions us to proclaim Christ's redemption to a world in need church is this what we're about are we doing this are we praying in this direction Are we trusting? Well, this morning. I want to encourage you. If you've never. Confessed Christ as Lord or professed faith in Christ through the resurrection, that you can do so by confessing your sin before him. Surrendering your life to him and saying that you believe, telling him you believe, asking God to. Uh, to to lead and to take control of your life. You can do that this morning just simply by turning to God in prayer. And if that describes you, I want to encourage you, you can do that right where you are. Or you can come and you can speak with me after service and talk to me and we can talk more about what it means to surrender your life to Christ, to believe upon this good news, this hope of the resurrection. I'll be here and would love to speak with you more about it. Believer, maybe for you this morning... Maybe there's some things in your life that you've become convicted of, some, things that, some areas of your life where you're not surrendering to Christ, but you're keeping control of your own way. Maybe for you it looks like confessing that before the Lord, surrendering that to Him. Whatever be the case this morning, I want to encourage you to respond as the Lord is leading you. If there's conviction being brought on your heart, confess that before the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, We thank you for the hope of the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have eternal security through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage our hearts today as we think upon the empty tomb and we rejoice in the hope of eternal life that you have given us. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning who's struggling to let go of their self-will and surrender to You, that You would strengthen them by Your Holy Spirit, lead them. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.